Good afternoon and welcome to the Thursday edition of the Manitoba Farm Journal. I'm your host, Corey Canute. Coming up this afternoon, we'll have more from the Canadian Federation of Agriculture, AGM, taking place this week in Ottawa. Also, Andy Harrington with the Canadian Food Grains Bank will join us to talk about what's happening in Ukraine. And up first in today's country comment, we'll hear from Ducks Unlimited about some research taking place this year looking at fertilizer input. The latest farm news and market numbers all coming up over the next 60 minutes. The time now is 12 o'clock. Here's a look at our local news. Good afternoon, you're listening to the Manitoba Farm Journal. New Ducks Unlimited research will help Manitoba farmers save fertilizer costs. The group has received funding through the Federal Provincial Egg Action Manitoba program. With details, here's agrologist Alex Griffiths. The research this year is specific to winter wheat. We've got two uh, varieties in the ground at four different locations, all the diversification centers in the province, which is uh, Roblin, Melitta, Carberry, and Arberg. And we use the two varieties that are fairly new, um, Wildfire, which is marketed by Seacan, and it's my current favorite variety as it's got the highest yield potential on the market and great winter survivability. And then Vortex, which is a new one. I don't even think it was, uh, it'll probably be available for sale this upcoming fall. And it's marketed by Alliance Seeds and bred to be a replacement variety for Emerson which has improved yields, a very good winter hardiness, and Vizarium head blight resistance as well. And then the hope with uh, using some of those new varieties was that these uh, trials take a couple of seasons to complete. So once the data is available, the varieties and all of the subsequent data with that will still be current. And the big part of this uh, trial is just the timing of uh, fertility applications and the amount of nitrogen fertility that you're wanting to be using. So the big two things that we're uh, looking at are just the rates of nitrogen that you're putting down and then a split application of applying half of it in the fall or doing it all in the springtime. And our hope is that the 50% applied in the fall is going to be key because not only is the uh, plant able to use it all right away then, but in the springtime, it's really difficult to either get the nitrogen to the plant because it's either too dry or it's too wet to even get on the field to apply the nitrogen. So it's uh, hopefully the split application will be not only outperforming the uh, straight spring applications, but will also be reducing some stress and the headache of uh, having to worry about those sorts of things. With the data that comes out of this, what will be the biggest benefit for, uh, for winter wheat growers? I'd say the biggest benefit is the uh, soil fertility guide right now. It's using data that uh, was good. I think it was done by John Hurd, who we're still working on with this program right now. But uh, I think it's about 20 years old or was published in 2000. And now we've got a feeling that a lot of these newer winter wheat varieties have improved water use efficiency and nitrogen use efficiency. So as a result, we think that you could probably be getting away with applying a little bit less nitrogen and we want to have the data to back that up so that farmers can be saving those dollars and using them where it counts. Do you think uh, research like this could lead to to more producers um, going back to winter wheat um, just with um, you know better yields and and using less fertilizer? Oh absolutely and I sure hope that it does too. I know that the lowest uh, acreage in Manitoba was uh, 2020 where there was about 32,000 acres planted and if you look back as uh, Early as 2013, there was 600,000 acres planted in the province. Right now, we're, I think, at about 73 or 74,000 acres planted right now. So it's starting to get back up and gain a bit more interest. And a lot of that was because last year was such a dry year and just 
kind of really tough conditions for all farmers across, well, the entire prairies, but Manitoba specifically too. And I found a lot of the fields that I checked, winter wheat usually has a 10 to 20% yield advantage over spring wheats. And last year that was exaggerated to 25 or 30% more just because it can take advantage of some of those uh, spring snow melts and better water use use efficiency as well. How's the uh, crop uh, looking this year? You know, I'm very cautiously optimistic because with uh, how dry it was, the harvest was so early last year that most people were actually planting in the last week of August or first week of September. And then we had such a wide open, nice warm fall that it didn't really freeze up until the end of October or even November. So most of the fields that I scouted, the plants were three tillers or lots of leaves, very nice and big. And then on top of that, we've had so much snow this year that there's such a good insulating snowpack. And usually in the average year, we get really warm end of February, and then it cools back down and there's a little bit of winter kill from that. But we haven't even had that because we're in March now. So I'm uh, very cautiously optimistic, and hopefully we get an awesome start to spring as well from that. That was Alex Griffiths. He's an agrologist with Ducks Unlimited talking about research taking place this year, looking at fertilizer usage on winter wheat. A look at what's happening in the markets this afternoon is coming up. Good afternoon, I'm Corey Canute. Russia's invasion of Ukraine was addressed yesterday at the Canadian Federation of Agriculture, AGM, held in Ottawa. Federal Agriculture Minister Marie-Claude Bibo spoke on the issue. It will probably put more pressure on our supply chain on the prices of inputs of fertilizer, prices and availability of of certain uh, inputs. So while there might be new clients to supply, there there will probably be impacts on prices and even on on the way, uh, on on the supply chain itself, the availability of containers. Bebo says in addition to Ukraine, she has concerns for developing countries which relied upon agriculture exports from Ukraine. And the Manitoba Farmer Wellness Program is up and running. Here's board member Jerry Friesen. We've said from the outset that, that we're filling a gap. We've had the Manitoba Farm and Road stress line in Manitoba now for 22 years, I believe. That line is very useful for people when they're in crisis. They can call in and get some, some quick counseling that way. This is something that's a step more than that, where, in fact, the farm line, and I know Dumar Egg is working on a national crisis line, they can refer their callers to this program so that they can get longer-term counseling. To register for counseling, go to manitobafarmerwellness.ca. That was a look at today's farm news. I'm Corey Canute. Good afternoon and welcome to the Prairie Eggwire for Thursday, March 3rd. I'm Corey Canute. Coming up today, we'll hear from Andy Harrington with the Canadian Food Grains Bank. He'll talk about what the group's doing to help the situation in Ukraine. Joining us now is Andy Harrington, Executive Director with the Canadian Food Grains Bank to talk about the situation in Ukraine. Um, obviously, we're watching this tragedy unfold in Ukraine, and like the rest of the world, we're joining in, in both disbelief and absolute sadness. So um, we're, we're wanting to make sure we act. We're part of an organization called the Humanitarian Coalition. That's some of Canada's leading uh, aid agencies, and we've joined together uh, to launch an appeal, um, which Canadians can come together and donate on at together.ca. Um, the situation at the moment, as of this morning, the latest figures of this morning, that, uh, um, are that over um, 1,045,000 people have actually fled, fled Ukraine. 
Um, and so there's a, a big refugee crisis. Most of them have gone to surrounding countries. So you've got over half a million, for example, uh, in Poland. And, and uh, we have members on the ground and partners on the ground that are actually working already uh, to provide food, uh, water, sanitation facilities uh, for those people that have had to flee their country because of this. So we're very engaged with our partners in the humanitarian coalition in, the, in that response to um, the needs that those refugees have. Are there other countries that are being affected by this, um, you know, in addition to, to Ukraine? Oh, that's a very good question. So, so you've got three different levels in a sense of what's happening. There's multiple levels, but we could condense them down to three. First of all, Ukraine itself, um, as we're all seeing the pictures on the news, uh, we're seeing a country that's um, really uh, undergoing um, a, 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 the conflict that's happening there is, is causing major disruption in the country, obviously, to the people, as we've seen, great tragedy, death. But also one of the issues that's going to happen is that Ukraine is a massive grain producer. It's one of the largest grain producers in the world. It supplies a lot of grain to Africa. So we're wondering if there's going to be knock-on effects in terms of the price of food and commodity supply around the world, but particularly to those parts of the world that are in real need. So that's one in Ukraine itself. Secondly, um, you have the, um, there's a, a real refugee crisis now in countries that surround. So uh, countries like Poland, uh, Romania... Hungary, Moldova, don't necessarily have the, all of the facilities that they would need to, to, to receive over a million refugees. And we believe that number is going to rise quite strongly. Um, and so that's an area where we're focusing right now. Right now, it's hard for us to actually work in Ukraine, although there is a little bit going on there in the west of the country. But in those countries surrounding, that's where uh, ourselves and our, uh, the Canadian Food Grains Bank, uh, Bank and our partners can actually help get supplies in and bring relief. The third issue is what it's going to mean for the, for the world. We're already seeing um, supply chain issues around the world. We're only going to see that disrupted due to the sanctions, also due to the conflict itself, due to, as I say, to some of the uh, commodities, food commodities that come from Ukraine. So this is going to have a global impact. But right now we're very focused in our appeal on those Ukrainians that are having to flee their country. Right. Um, and again, Andy, if, if people want to help out, how do they do so? Well, we'd really appreciate that, and I know the people of Ukraine would as well. You can go to together.ca to make a donation to uh, our work at the Humanitarian Coalition. You can also call them on 1-855-461-2154. That's 1-855-461-2154. And I just wanted to say, Corey, we're very aware of the generosity of Canadians at times like this. We're already seeing an outpouring of support, and we're very, very grateful for it, and I'm sure the people of Ukraine are as well. Anything else to add here, Andy? Or? Well, um, for those of you who are so inclined, um, prayers for peace or thoughts for peace. This is a tragic situation. Just, just a personal note, Corey, I lived through the Balkan conflict for two years as a, a, an aid worker in 1994 in Croatia and Bosnia, and the, these pictures are reminding me of, the, of what I saw personally, of the tragedy that happens in people's lives. We've seen over... 752 civilian casualties, according to the UN, it's probably a lot higher. We're seeing, you know, nobody wins in war. There's no soldier in Russia or no parent in Russia that's losing a son that's thinking this is a good thing. There's nobody in Ukraine that's losing everything they'd sought to build or losing family that's thinking this is a good thing. We want to see peace. We need to see peace come as soon as possible. That was Andy Harrington, Executive Director with the Canadian Food Grains Bank. The Canadian Federation of Agriculture, AGM, wraps up today in Ottawa. Mary Robinson gave an update on the Hay West initiative. 
In August of 2021, CFA was hearing from our members experiencing the drought. We were hearing about how dire the situation had become in our Western provinces and how bad it could get without quick intervention. In response to this, CFA began developing the Hay West Initiative with the goal of shipping hay from farmers in central and eastern Canada to drought-stricken farmers in the West. We then quickly and strategically launched the initiative in early September. Hay West follows a tradition set decades ago from farmers in Canada who have offered this type of help before, and CFA is proud to be a part of this latest effort. Since the program launched, our staff has been working tirelessly to get funding, handle logistics, and ship as much hay as possible in an effort to save Canadian breeding stock. Hay West has not been an easy road, but we are proud of all the farmers who have come together to help their struggling colleagues and friends. Hay West is the story of Canada, of a country coming together to help those in need. As a result of Hay West, many organizations and AAFC have been very generous in their donations to support this program. CFA would like to thank the contributors, which include $4 million from AAFC, $50,000 from Farm Credit Canada, $50,000 from the Ontario Federation of Agriculture, $12,000 from the Prince Edward Island government, and $125,000 from CN Rail with an offer to match an additional $125,000 from any other organization. While I am very proud of this program, there is still more to be done. Essentially, there is a limitless demand for hay in the prairies, and CFA is still seeking funding from private, corporate, and government donors to ship as much hay as possible. Every dollar goes directly to covering the freight costs of hay and feeding animals in desperate need. I'd like to note the matching contributions from CN Rail, meaning any donation we receive effectively doubles its impact. That was Mary Robinson, president of the Canadian Federation of Agriculture. The group's AGM wraps up today in Ottawa. That's it for the Prairie Eggwire for today. If you have any questions or opinions to share, send them to us by email, thefarmdesk at goldenwest.ca. I'm Corey Canute. Thanks for listening and have a great afternoon. The Prairie Eggwire will return tomorrow on the Golden West Farm Network. Time now for a look at the farm calendar. The WLB Farmgate Online Semental Bull Sale takes place March 6th. You can view the bull sale catalog, videos, and register to bid online at farmgatetimedauctions.ca. Bulls can also be viewed on farm at your convenience. For more information, call Bill at 204-729-7925. Farm Credit Canada presents the Women Entrepreneur Summit in a virtual setting March 8th. Visit the FCC website for details. And Marmac Farms and Guest Bull Sale is scheduled for March 9th at the farm near Brandon. Sale gets underway at 1 p.m. Visit marmacfarms.net for details. Continuing with the Manitoba Farm Journal here on this Thursday afternoon. The Canadian Canola Growers Association made a submission to the Canadian Grain Commission regarding grain grading. I got the details from Janelle Whitley. She's the organization's policy manager. What we just saw finished was the Canadian Grain Commission just finished consultations on updates to their grain grading dispute resolution process. So this is also known as subject to inspectors grade and dockage. 
And this is really, you know, farmers have the right to ask for a second opinion when delivering to a primary elevator company. So, so really a line company. And so if there's any disagreement whatsoever, they have the right to ask the Grain Commission for a second opinion on uh, the grade assessment, dockage, and or moisture, and then a representative sample is sent off to uh, the Grain Commission for like a binding second opinion. Um, so one of the large uh, discrepancies from a canola farmer point of view is that this right is only available at a primary elevator for those line companies. So it's not available at process, you know, crush facilities. So what we're really looking for is to have extended, um, so farmers have the right to the second opinion at both the primary and process elevators. The uh, second point here, just looking at uh, additional time uh, for this as well. Yeah, so, you know, sorry, maybe just add one more point to my last one. And, you know, why it's so important to have this extended to process elevators that, you know, last year in, in 2020, 2021, over 55% of canola was deliver- delivered to crush facilities. So as we bring more crush online, this discrepancy will only um, continue to grow. Um, so the, the second point around the time, and this is the main focus of the Grain Commission uh, consultations. And right now, to have access to subject to or this right to ask for a second opinion, it needs to be exercised upon delivery. And what we found is that, you know, farm management and delivery practices have changed substantially. And it's, it's no longer necessarily the farmer who's delivering grain. Um, to the primary elevator. You know, it could be uh, another family member, a, uh, a neighbor, or, you know, a custom hauler. Um, so the, the extension of, to seven, it, they're, they're proposing to extend it to upwards of seven days. And that, to us, better reflects, you know, what's happening on the ground in country and really gives, you know, farmers, you know, more time to problem solve directly with their elevator and really to do, you know, their own due diligence so they can collect their elevator receipts, you know, check with their samples, you know, have some time to exercise that right um, and kind of remove that stress, you know, right upon delivery. Uh, the next point here, just looking at um, the integrity of representative sampling, um, can you talk about what, uh, what that point deals with? Yeah, and, uh, you know, having, the, having a representative sample is really the key to any, you know, grain grading um, or dockage assessment. So it's really important that, you know, there are procedures in place to, you know, outline, you know, what is a representative sample, how will it be taken, you know, how will farmers agree that it's representative, and really to make sure that it's consistent between elevators that, you know, if we do move forward um, with this with this extension of the time that farmers have confidence that, you know, the represent the sample when they deliver grain to the elevator, that the sample that was drawn is representative. The next one here um, looks at um, quality factors. Uh, can you talk about uh, the issue there? Yeah. So right now that's also maybe, you know, another limitation to the current subject to model is that it, it all grain grading is based uh, primarily on, the Grain Commission's official grain grading guide. Um, this guide outlines what the grading factors are. It outlines how to assess dockage. You know, it um, you know also prescribes certain equipment. So it's kind of really you know the the main um, kind of base for for grading. But what we're increasingly seeing and hearing from farmers is that you know there's more and more quality factors being added in or being asked of them. So you know not not from the canola side, but falling number in wheat would be a good example. So you know what we're asking is that as we move forward, you know that the Grain Commission keep in mind that this could potentially also be a use to you know what we refer to as like non-grading or non-CGC grade factors. 
And the finally here, the last uh, last point here, uh, CCGA would like to see more consistency and uh, predictability. Just noting that uh, that's still needed uh, just to create trust in the system. Yeah, and th- this is a little bit of a, a larger point. And you know, I you know, subject to or this this grading dispute, you know, it's a you know something that you know we see important to keep. You know, we think it adds an element of accountability, and you know, in any system, you know. Uh, it's just always good to have access to a second opinion if, if that's what makes the best business sense. Um, but really for us, you know, subject to is also kind of a tool of last resort. And it, it shouldn't replace, you know, having, you know, more consistency and predictability at the elevator system to, to begin with. So, you know, we increasingly hear, we hear, you know, um, regularly from farmers around, you know, concerns, um, when delivering canola around the consistency and predictability, you know, whether or not the grading factors are being applied correctly, whether or not the right sieves are being used for dockage, um, you know, whether or not, you know, the samples representative. So various, you know, various concerns or various, you know, questions that they have. So, you know, what, what we're asking or what we're proposing is that, you know, we need to put more work into developing more consistency and predictability at the at the elevator level, so farmers have confidence in the grade and dock as they receive, you know, upon delivery, and that they don't need to to sub, they don't need to resort to a second opinion. That was Janelle Whitley, policy manager with the Canadian Canola Growers Association, talking about a recent submission made to the Canadian Grain Commission. Another look at what's happening in the markets heading into the close is coming up in just a moment. Time now for another look at today's farm news. Federal Agriculture Minister Marie-Claude Bebo addressed the Russia-Ukraine situation yesterday at the Canadian Federation of Agriculture, AGM, in Ottawa. It's obvious that Ukraine being a big uh, agricultural producer and exporter, uh, it will have a significant impact, Russia as well. Um, So I would say that my first uh, thought after the Ukrainian community themselves, obviously, uh, will be for uh, countries in developing countries who used to be supplied by, uh, by Ukraine. And I know that our grain producers are already working closely with the World Food Program to supply Africa and the Middle East because there's a, a real uh, security, food security issue. Bebo says the invasion will likely put pressure on our supply chain and the prices of inputs such as fertilizer. And Manitoba farmers looking for counseling have a new resource. Jerry Friesen is a board member with the Manitoba Farmer Wellness Program, which is now up and running. I would just challenge everybody. Uh, there's no harm in checking it out. And I would like everyone to have a level of comfort in clicking that button and making an appointment because it's okay to not be okay and it's okay to reach out for help. To register for counseling, go to manitobafarmerwellness.ca. I'll be back after this to wrap up today's program. We've come to the end of another Manitoba Farm Journal. I'm your host, Corey Canute. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach us by email, thefarmdesk at goldenwest.ca. Today's closing numbers with more in-depth commentary on what's happening in the markets is coming up at 10 to 2 on the Markets Farm Program. Thanks for listening and have a great afternoon. Hope you can join us back here tomorrow starting at 12 noon.